They woke us up early, much earlier than I was expecting. I was planning on going to visit a farm up in the mountains in Ecuador, and I was not expecting to be woken up around 6 o'clock. We hadn't even had breakfast yet. And they said, let's go. And so we did. Three of my friends, actually three of us, two of my friends and I, we jumped in the back of a pickup truck, leaving from Quito and going up into the mountains to see uh, a gentleman's farm kind of excited. It was our day off. We were there as a, a choir singing, and we had a day off and thought, why not do this? Well, um, the gentleman, since we were hungry and stopped at a food market along the way, threw in a bag of oranges and a bag of something else. The oranges were not orange. Now, most of you know that most oranges are actually green. And they're orange on the inside, but I think they paint them a little bit here in the United States to give them that nice, pretty color. And I wasn't aware of that. I was kind of novel, uh, novice in my travel, so I was kind of worried about eating green oranges, so I didn't eat them, even though they're probably better for me. And I looked at the other things that were in a bag, and they were about this big around. They were green with a slight yellowish tint. I'm not an adventurous person, but one of my friends is adventurous, and he grabbed a hold of it, started feeling around on it. It was soft, and he popped it open. And it was this delicate white flesh around black seeds. Those in Ecuador call it cherimoya. Any of you here eaten cherimoya? Okay, good. Then you have to trust me on this one. I put one in my mouth and I felt like I was having this sweet custard pudding. Nothing sour with it. Uh, it's a relative of the sour sop and sweet sop, but it's not that. Oh. And, um, of course, so we're traveling in the back of a pickup truck. We weren't too worried about uh, planting more plants, so we kept spitting the seeds out over the edge. Um, and we ate one, and two, and three, and four. And we finished up the whole bag that he, we found out later, had bought as a gift for the people who worked at the farm. Um, it was fantastic. I have never had such good food. Um, he called us some mean names when we got there. <laughs> well deserved, I might add. I think pig was one of the words that was being used. But um, I experienced something that was fantastic. And I hope someday you can have a chirimoya. Um uh, a nice, ripe one. They have to be raised up in the mountains at thousands of foot elevation. There's just a lot of things that were perfect for that environment. We, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Today, we're starting a series on a new book. It's a book that talks about experience. What does it mean to, to, to see something, to, to hear something, to, to touch it with your own hands? And what kind of experience comes as a result of that? How many of you know what book I'm talking about? First John, that's right. So you turn your Bibles with me to First John. We are going to be jumping into a study of First John. Now, if I were to come from a theological perspective, I would say, let me tell you the similarities of how John is like First John and how the language in the Greek is similar to the language in the Greek here and everything, but I'm not going to do that today, okay? Uh, my goal actually is to see what is the message for us today. What is the message of 1 John? Why is it relevant? So John wrote this book around the end of the first century A.D. 
uh, probably around the same time that he wrote the Gospel of John. This was the first church that's being described in the book of Revelation. So those of you Revelation students, you have the seven churches in Revelation uh, 2 and 3. Your first church is the church of Ephesus. This is the church that had a weakness. It was a great church in many ways, but what was the weakness of that first church, the church of Ephesus? They had lost something. What was it? They had lost their first love. And so John is writing to the people of his time, which is the people of Ephesus. I find it very interesting what we are about to read. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard with, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have, what? Seen and heard, declare we to you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then it says this in verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that you may be without joy. What's it saying? These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So this is our passage of study today. This is where we're going to just settle down a little bit. Please don't go asleep at the thought of sitting down with a theological passage of four verses. Okay, we're going to have, I believe, some fun as we go through this. Um, first, though, I would like to ask you, this beginning, what beginning are we talking about? That which was from the beginning. Well, if you look at the book, it actually tells you what the beginning is. And, and you're, you're saying it correct, but you know... the. If you look at verse 1, no, sorry, chapter 13, chapter 1, verse, I am confused. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, I said, there is no 13 in verse 1, chapter 1. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is what? From the beginning. This is chapter 2, verse 13. Now look at chapter 2, verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is what? From, so there is a being that's in the beginning, right? And the fathers have known him. So that's the first thing that we want to pick out as we're looking at this. Chapter 2 and verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have had, what? From so there is not only a being that's from the beginning, there is an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. Now let's look at one other passage here. Chapter 3 and verse 11. Chapter 3 and verse 11. For this is the what? Message that ye heard from when? From the beginning. So there is a being that's from the beginning. There is a commandment from the beginning. There is a message from the beginning. And if you look at chapter 3 and verse 8, there is something else that is in the beginning here. There is sin and a devil from the beginning. So the word beginning in 1 John, we don't have to guess too much, is in relationship to our planet and to humanity. That's the connection. It's something that humans have known, something that humans have heard. That's where the beginning is connected with. 
So we're, we're going to delve into that a little bit more at another time. By the way, did you know that 1 John likes the word beginning? 1 John uses the word beginning more than any other book in the Bible except for Isaiah and the Gospel of John. Uh, John. John's a guy who likes talking about the beginning. Something else he also likes talking about is the word, right? And the word, what it, in the book of God, in the Gospel of John, who's the word talking about? Jesus Christ, that's right. It's the same thing here. But notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 1. That which we have heard, right? The first thing is the first thing we have what? Heard. What's the second thing? We have seen, and then what's the, the third one? Looked upon, and the final one is hands of handle, right? We've got it. So there is this full experience. I have heard it. I have seen it, I have looked at it, and I've touched it. John's had a full experience, a very full experience. He's describing here with, um, with Jesus. The Bible, uh, verse 2, just in case you were wondering about the word of life, it says, the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and sh- declare unto you what? The eternal life, who, which was with who? As soon as we see eternal life with the Father, we know we're speaking of Jesus. But just, just tying those, those dots together. All right. Um, yeah, I like this idea. Have any of you told someone about something you didn't know about? Oh, yeah, so I'm going to admit this. I know that someone's going to find out in, in one of my former students, okay? But I, I used to be a history teacher. Uh, I love teaching. I love teaching history. It was my first job. And um, sometimes my facts weren't necessarily from archaeologists. I think once I even had facts from a, a book that I read sometime when I was a kid, and I forgot even who wrote it. And I was teaching a history class, and I was describing something, and um, I shared what I remembered from the book. Well, I'm not sure about that yet, Theo. But I remember a little bit later, I met this really neat lady named Christina. And she was teaching too. And she said, hey, could you tell me a little bit about this person? It was Ethan Allen. And if you uh, New Englanders, you, you know Ethan Allen, right? And so it was about Ethan Allen. I said, oh, yeah, let me tell you about Ethan Allen. So I was going telling all of these neat stories. And she was about to go and teach her history class. Well, she went and taught the history class. She came back and she said, they love the stories. I was like, you told them the stories? I said, well, I don't know for sure. She said, why did you tell me? Mm. Be careful, right? You need to share what you have seen and heard, right? And that was, uh, by the way, those stories are are still fun. I like them today, but uh, I'll do some more research on Ethan Allen, but not today. Um, This message that John's declaring isn't hearsay. He didn't hear it about it from somebody else. He personally experienced it. And that's why there's power in this book of 1 John. When you and I read 1 John, it's not something that he's making up. It's not like he goes, I read the book of Matthew and it looked pretty good. Let me tell you what I read. John's telling us something he had a firsthand account of. So if you want to know about what he's seen and heard, read his book. I challenge you to take 1 John and read it through multiple times in the next couple weeks. Make it your friend. 1 John, I believe, is a picture of the early Christian church in a way that we seldom look at it. 
He's addressing their needs. And quite frankly, if we have what they have, we'll be in very good shape. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at that. But based upon this, um, oh, I forgot to tell you about the fruit. Can we go back to Chile Moya real quick? We're talking about things we've experienced. Right? I've experienced it, but you know, I'm not the only person who experienced Chile Moya. There's a guy by the name of Mark Twain. Have you ever heard of him? Here's what he said. It's the most delicious fruit known to men. I had it in another place in my notes. I don't know why I got messed up, but I thought I'd, I'd let you know that. One German botanist said this, if I were asked what was the best fruit, I would choose without hesitation Chiarimoya. Its taste indeed surpasses that of every other fruit. So not only have I seen and heard it, there's someone else who backs it up who's seen and heard it too. What did Jesus, what did John experience with Jesus? Um, let's go to hearing. Did he hear about the Beatitudes, or did he hear the Beatitudes? Based upon what we see in the book of Matthew, he was there. He's one of the first disciples. He was close around him. He would have heard the Beatitudes. In fact, they were actually focused on him. If you're familiar with it, the Sermon on the Mount was actually for the disciples, and everyone else came to listen. What a great picture. Um, what did you think he saw Jesus do? He heard. What did he see? What did he see Jesus do? Heal people. That's right, Theo. That's what I put down. He didn't just read about it. He saw it. Whole villages of people. After he came through, there was not a single person sick. What amazing we see things that he saw take place. What do you think he looked at in Jesus' life? Okay, so everyone here... um, the people that are with you right now, if you're sitting here single, there's other people who know what I'm saying. There are people who have seen you when you wake up in the morning. You understand what I'm saying? There are people who know what you're like when no one else is around. And that's what John saw about Jesus. He saw Jesus when he woke up. I kind of like that idea. He saw Jesus when no one else had seen him yet. He saw the real deal. You know what else he looked at? Jesus being badgered by him and his brother and Peter and Judas about who's the greatest day in and day out. And he looked and he saw how Jesus responded. He didn't see an unkind look on Jesus' face. He saw something different, deep love. John's telling you in 1 John what he saw. We haven't got to what he saw yet. We're just now talking about him talking about it. This last one here. What would it have been physically to be around Jesus? What would John experience physically? Maybe touched. Can you imagine touching the bread that came from Jesus' hand? And you know that that bread was a whole lot more than the bread that was started with, so that bread was something miraculous. It's in your hand. Can you imagine eating it? Can you imagine being John and actually having Jesus come up and put his hand on your shoulder? You know, I I just sent a a text message to a, a friend of mine who turned 90 yesterday, Miss Florine Cragwell. And she texts back and said something about you, young person. I always love hearing that. 
But with that also came a memory of her grabbing my arm and saying, young man, can you imagine Jesus touching you and saying, I'm praying for you, son. I'm praying for you, daughter. Can you imagine that? Having that kind of experience with Jesus Christ. And John is taking his experience that he's had, what he's heard, what he's seen, what he's looked upon, what he's, he was touched, and he's going to write it out in a message to us in 1 John. He wants us to know it. And why does he want us to know it? Very simple. Notice what it says in verse 3. And by the way, Miss Caitlin, thank you for reading. Verse 3 says this, That which we have seen and heard declare we to you that you may have what? Fellowship with us and? And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The reason I'm writing this to you is so that you can have fellowship with each other, us Christians, and fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. What a beautiful picture. So when you read 1 John, the purpose he wrote it is so that you can have fellowship with your fellow Christians and with God. That's the reason he wrote it. Somehow, as you go through this book, it will increase your fellowship. And I think we can always increase our fellowship. I love Cape Cod Church. Thank you, brother. But we can increase our fellowship, right? And you know what? I have met so many godly Christians here, but the reality is, can we increase our fellowship with God too? Absolutely. You know, um, I believe that a life that's manifested, when we receive that, fellowship is the result. Okay. Um, Christianity seems far often irrelevant oftentimes today. Am I right? We can read our Bible, but it seems sometimes dry and disconnected. And yet what we see on TV or, or read sometimes or on our computer screens or, or on our, our phones seems so much more real than what we read about this culture that was so far away and so different from ours. You know, there are people actually who used to, um, you remember soap operas, right? I guess they still have some soap operas going, but soap operas was the thing of the 80s. I was reading some information. They said at one point, the sales from ads during soap operas, because that's how you tell you whether it's popular or not, I guess, right? Was in the billions of dollars in the early 1980s. Amazing. And so, um, but the thing with soap operas is, uh, would you say these are true or false stories? False. Okay, so we got it. There's false stories. They're made up stories just to entertain uh, or, or worse. Um, and so you have these stories. People would believe them to be true. And there are stories of people actually going down and tracking down and saying, so-and-so is in pain. They're in jail. Something's happened to them. And it wasn't true. But they saw it on TV and it became real to them. You know, I think that's odd. 
But quite frankly, until you and I take the time to see and hear Jesus, our experience is that our screens will be more real to us. I don't want a Christian experience where the screen is more real than Jesus Christ. Be it my phone, be it my TV, be it my computer. I don't want that experience. The problem we run into, though, is Satan has learned how to take real things and make them look fake. And then take fake things and make them look real. And we have to remember what, John, what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.18. That which is seen is temporary. But that which is not seen is eternal. I, uh, I am moved by this. I see it as a problem. What I'm actually reading to you um, was something I struggled with in my personal devotional journal three months ago, so I just put it in here. God, I want to have a real experience. And yet what I see around me is real, and sometimes what I'm experiencing here doesn't feel real. But... John's desire in writing this book is that it would become real for you and for me. So somehow, in 1 John, as we spend time in it, we will get the real deal. We're not going to get some, let's face it, what you see on the screen, whether it's junk or whether it looks good, is just fake most of the time. You don't have a relationship with those people. Most of the time, unless you're watching Cape Cod right now, hello. But most of the time, that's true, right? It, it's fake. And yet we, 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 we invest ourselves into it in some way or another. Yet this isn't fake. Let's invest our lives into this. You know, um, I have a suggestion uh, it's not the answer in First John. It's just a suggestion by me, okay? First John's coming up with something that's much better. But my suggestion is, um, how do we need to hear personal accounts about Jesus? See, John's going to share that with his, his, his friends, right? We need to hear first personal, firsthand accounts of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, here's a suggestion. It's actually, John's got a, a better one. We're going to come to that in a couple weeks. Actually, hopefully next week we're going to jump into the, the meat of it. But... Here's a suggestion. Take time seeing and hearing Jesus in the Gospels. That would be my first suggestion. Uh, say, you know what? This year is going to be a Gospel year for me. Not Gospel in a sense of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which is fantastic. What I mean is, in the like of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read about the life of Christ. And if you're struggling with it, um, I have a book that I suggest for a lot of people. It's called Desire of Ages. It's a great book. It's about the life of Christ. The first time I read Desire of Ages... Desire of Ages is written uh, as story and sermon combined. The first time, actually the first two or three times I read it through, I skipped all the sermon sections. I just read the story part. Okay? But it gave me a picture of who Jesus was. Read the gospel. Spend time with him. Learn about Jesus. But that's not actually what's being talked about here in 1 John. We're, we're, we're going to come to it. 1 John has, a, has this new twist on it that's fantastic. But my, my suggestion to start out with is get to know him. Find out who he is. Hear him and see him. Um, and, and here's a, a suggestion too. Please 
I remember when I first started reading the Bible, it was kind of like this. My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not him. Father, bless the reading of this word. And sometimes I did that. I'm not meaning to make mockery. Please understand what I'm saying. But I'm trying to show by illustration, just reading a passage from the Bible doesn't fill you most of the time. It's taking time with it and seeing him who's revealed in the Bible. I would read a chapter a day. It would take me about three or four minutes. And then I would go out and do my life. And then I got mad at my Bible teacher because he told me that reading the Bible was going to change me. I said, it didn't change me. By the way, I'm glad I had a Bible teacher who didn't mind me being in his face. Praise God for Bible teachers like that. I said, you told me this was going to change my life. It hasn't changed my life, he said. Hmm. And he talked to me, and I'll tell you some more of that some another time. But there needs to, uh, this willingness to just take some time and meditate on the life of Christ. Hey, if you're struggling with something, I want to be a patient father, and it's not my first gift, okay? So I look and say, God, how are you patient? How was Jesus patient? How did Jesus respond to this? Does that make sense? And I look at Jesus from that perspective. Let me take something from his life that's relevant for me today. God is good. I see him, and actually there is a negative part with watching Jesus. Can I tell you the negative? Thank you. The more you see someone who's really good, the more you realize you're just not. You ever felt that way? And that is a danger. Don't let it discourage you because the Bible is crystal clear that when we are not, he is. Amen? And we can, we can rest in the fact, we don't have it, he's got it. So there is a danger, but it's, it's, it's worth it. Um, in fact, I have a, I'm of the opinion, and I think 1 John chapter 1 will agree with this when we get to this part. The more you see him, the less you're going to feel about yourself. It's okay. Because the whole purpose of Christianity is not to look at yourself. It's to look at him. And that is, uh, oh, it's beautiful, but that's not where we're at. Okay, let's look at verse 4. And these things... Write we to you, excuse me, we write to you that your joy may be full. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Um, These things. He's been talking about it a lot now. I heard it. I saw it. I looked at it and I touched it. It was the manifested life. It's fantastic. And we're going to declare it to you so you can have fellowship with us. And these things that I'm writing to you are so that you can have fullness of joy. We still don't know what he's telling us. But we know that if we have it, we will have fellowship and we will have fullness of joy. What is this fullness of joy? Um, Oh, I, I did want to, before I answer that question, there is a few things I wanted to emphasize. First is, you see the word we is used a lot. First John is uh, full of personal pronouns, okay? Um, we, 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 not speaking in French, right? Um, he's saying we is referring to in the first five verses, John and his friends, and you is everybody else that he's writing to. Starting with verse six and on, the rest of First John, we is referring to all of us as Christians, 
You'll see that shift as you go through the writing. It's a very neat style shift. So, but this one, is, he's saying, it's me, us, we're writing to you. Um, and then he says that. I think this says, that your joy may be full. So as I see that, this is cause and effect relationship. I'm doing this so that you can have this. How's the fullness of joy right now? How many of you uh, would say, I'm at the fullness of joy level, and uh, how many of you would like to have more joy? I wouldn't mind having a little bit more joy in my life. Yeah? Fullness of joy. So, why is John writing this to you? What two things? Sorry, I'm sounding like a teacher. What two things? So we can have fullness of joy, and so we can have fellowship with each other and with God. That's why he's writing it. So, I would stop at this point and say, God bless you as you start reading First John, but I want to share one more thought. What does it mean to have fullness of joy? What does it mean to have fullness of joy? Ready? Let's go back to a, a verse that's in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16, or Psalm 16, let me put it that way. And we'll be looking at verse 11. That's right. Psalm 16 and verse 11. David said to God, you will show me what? You will show me the path of life. And then David makes this beautiful statement um, in John, excuse me, in Psalm 16. He says, in your presence is what? In your presence is fullness of joy. In the presence of who? God. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Now, I was looking at all the places in the Bible that talk about fullness of joy or being full of joy. And they almost always have the same common theme. I think you'll pick it up as we go through it. And at your right hand are what? Forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. So in the presence of Jesus, the presence of God, excuse me, in this context, we're going to find fullness of joy. Okay. So let's look at another one. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and we are going to look at verse 9, starting with verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. So we're asking ourselves, biblically speaking, we're promised uh, that if we read 1 John, we'll have fullness of joy. But I want to see what fullness of joy is in the rest of the Bible. It might give me a hint of what's going to happen here in, in the book of 1 John. 1 John 15, starting with verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Who's speaking? This is Jesus speaking. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice what he says in verse 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to keep my commandments. I want you to abide in my love. I want you to know the Father loves you. And I'm telling you things so you can have fullness of joy. What a beautiful picture. John, Psalm 16 has fullness of joy connected with the presence of God. John 15 has fullness of joy connected with an abiding relationship, if I can use that phrase. What about John chapter 16? John chapter 16 and verse 24. 
one chapter over. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Just as Jesus speaking again. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be one. Full. Ask and receive that your joy may be full. So, if you ask for something in the name of Jesus and pray in his name, you can receive and have fullness of joy. Wow. Fullness of joy is always connected with God, isn't it? Acts chapter 2, verse 28. Acts chapter 2, verse 28. Now, this one is Peter preaching the Sermon of Pentecost, and he's simply quoting David, uh, which is, is not an uncommon thing for Peter. He's quoting David here in Acts 2, verse 28. And so it's the same context. He's quoting, uh, actually, David, uh, David speaking in Psalm 16. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Okay? Same concept, because he's quoting the same passage. There is fullness of joy in whose presence? God's presence. Um, there is one passage in the Bible that doesn't talk necessarily about a relationship with God with fullness of joy. You're interested? Second John. Second John. So we're in first John as we've been studying. Second John, uh, excuse me. Yeah, second John. I was going to say the chapter. You already got the chapter. And verse 12. Second John, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. Oh, I feel like this so many times, especially with COVID, don't you? I don't feel like using a screen to tell you what I'm thinking. I want to meet you face to face. And that's what Don, John's saying. I hope to come to you and speak face to face. That our joy may be one, full. So John, the only time I found in the Bible where it's being used in the context of fullness of joy, that's not talking about a relationship with God, it's actually talking about a relationship with fellow Christians. Interesting to note, though, Nowhere in the Bible does fullness of joy have any connection with something external of relationship with God or fellow Christians. It's not, nothing external of relationship. Fullness of joy doesn't come from what you have. Fullness of joy doesn't come from what you don't have, materially speaking. Fullness of joy comes from a relationship, most purely a relationship with God but also relationship with fellow Christians. So when I understand that, and I go to 1 John, you're already in 2 John, just back a few pages, 1 John chapter 1. He says, In these things we write unto you that your joy may be full instantly. Everyone who is a Bible student says, Oh, fullness of joy, that's something about God. That's something about being in relationship with God of some kind. What John is going to show us is going to show us how to have fellowship with one another and with God. And it's going to show us how to have fullness of joy. That's what, that's what the book of 1 John is going to teach us. I shared this story with you all before, but it's one that, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to repeat. I'm going to call her Jerry for sake of her privacy. We call Porter together, literature evangelism. We would go door to door with Christian books. And... Uh, we were in the same team. She was with a friend in one place. I was with uh, my friend in a, a town a couple, I don't know, 15, 20 miles away. And we each would get a town. We'd go door-to-door with Christian literature, and we would share it and sell it. 
Um, and oftentimes we found that people are more willing to buy Christian literature than they are to receive it, which I found interesting. So if you put a little bit of price on it, it makes it more valuable. So she went and she would, here's what I found out. I heard from other people. I didn't see this. Am I allowed to share that then? It wouldn't fit with First John, would it? I know her personally, so I know it to be true. She would go to the door and she would talk to them. She wouldn't open up. I would start out, hi, my name is Chuck Holtry, and go through my little spiel. She would never go through a spiel. She would just, hi, how are you? Oh, that's so nice. And she'd be talking, and she'd just have a great time, almost forget what she's there for, because she was a loving, kind Christian. Just having a great time, and after about a half an hour, someone would say, we don't know why you're here, (laughs) but we like you, and whatever you have, we would like to get it. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, What is your fellowship with God like at this point in your life? Fair question, right? Uh, It's a question I'm asking myself. How well do you know him? Um, Have you been hearing him? Have you been seeing him? Are you looking upon him? What is your joy level like right now? These are valid questions. First John is going to help. Explain how to have it. But part of it we already know. Even deductively as we've studied. This will come to you as you hear him. As you see him as you look at him, and you spend time experiencing him. Do you want to have that experience? Do you want to know him better? Do you want to fellowship with him? Do you want fullness of joy? I do. I I challenge you, if at all possible, make sure you don't miss next week. Because next week, John breaks it open. And next week, we're going to see what... I found shocking when I first read it because what you see on surface is much more beautiful underneath. Okay? So can we pray together? Father, we are grateful that you have given us this book and that your disciple John has poured out his heart in this letter to us through the Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would prepare us for have a deeper walk with you. Even now, Father, help us to hear you better this week, to see you better this week. We ask, Father, these things in Jesus' name, amen.